back. Hey, Brett. How's it going this week? Good, Ange. How are you? Good. Well, that means it's another episode of Money in the Bank, the personal finance podcast where we talk about all things related to personal finance and just some fun facts about Brett eating burgers. <laughs> That's right. So, are you ready for your trivia question this week? Uh, I guess so. We're just going right in. We're ripping the Band-Aid off. So... Um, I actually heard this fun fact when I was in the car yesterday driving somewhere, and you weren't in the car with me. So if you were, you could have learned this as well. So <laughs> Steep price to pay. How much are people getting back for their tax refund this year? Uh, well, I already saw an article that said it was 8% less than this year, or than last year. So. Well, that's true, but what like what's the dollar amount? I don't know, like... $4,000? How much do people get back? <laughs> no, so it's actually $1,856, which is still a good chunk of change. Okay, that's, I mean, that's okay. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's no $4,000. It's down from just over 2000 last year. Okay. So, the yeah, the uh, radio show that I was listening to was actually talking about, like, all these projects that you could do for under $2,000 around the house, like putting backsplash up in your kitchen or, like, building a shed or, like, all these different things. And I wanted to take my own spin on what people could do with their tax refund. And it's as simple as save it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what's kind of cool, like, you know, if most people are getting $1,800 back, that's basically equivalent to being able to save like $150 a month. And if you weren't expecting this money, why not just like toss it in the bank for the rainy day fund? Or, Or if you don't have an emergency fund, like that's a huge boost to any emergency fund, right? Or if you you know, have never been able to save in a Roth IRA, that could be a really fun use of this money. Or if you just want like a taxable account, or if you want to save for college for your kid, right? Like there's a ton of different saving options that you could do. Um, I, I recommend that you pick one and you do it because I hear so many people who get bonuses or they get tax refunds and they're like, oh, this is the time for me to like go and do something fun with the money. And it could be, but why not like save to do something fun with the money that you get throughout the year and then when you get like icing on the cake just like you know chuck it into savings and see where that gets you right because i mean we've talked about before we advocate having a plan for your money and like the the income that you get throughout the year or, or doing anything that produces income in any way that should like help go toward that plan so if your current you know your current goal is to like max out your emergency fund and get that to where it needs to be and then it's to invest a certain amount in in like a mutual fund or it's to like dump more into your like 401k at the end or you're trying to max out your 401k so it's taking away from other areas right whether this money just shows up for you or not you've already had that plan your plan doesn't change and so this should ideally help put you toward your goals and not just be you know kind of we have a kind of social norm that's like okay you got this like big chunk of money like what are you going to spend it on is what people say right or you won the lottery what are you going to spend all that money on right i don't have to spend it right you don't you don't have to right um it shouldn't like just make the money do what you want to and don't feel pressured to like just like dump it into whatever yeah uh, unless you were already going to do that anyway unless it's part of your plan the point they made on the talk show that i actually really agreed with was um one of the ladies came on and was like you know at least if you take this money and you do like a project around the house with it or something you can like see that value because she's like in past years i get two thousand dollars or whatever i get back and i just waste it like a hundred dollars at a time 
Like, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, I, I'm willing to do go to the spa to get a massage because I never do that. And like, she's like, before I know it, my entire refund's gone and I have nothing to show for it. So whether you like have a big project around the house that you've genuinely been wanting to do for a while, not because somebody else just put the idea in your head. Um, but if you genuinely want to do something around the house, like let this be, you know, that chunk that gets you over the goal of whatever you need to like do that project. Or if you don't have any of those projects on the horizon or if your goal is to buy a house someday, like just save it in your down payment fund and you'll get to spend it eventually and it'll be totally worth it. Or yeah, if you're at the beginning stages of your career and you get, you know, several thousand dollars back and you invest that, you retire a year early, right? Right. Like pretty close to that or one or two. Mm-hmm. I'm not the one doing the math here, but pretty <laughs> confident in that assessment. Yeah, no, for <laughs> sure. So, I mean, every chunk that you can save, you can buy your freedom date earlier, right? Um, all right. Well, now to do a complete 180, we are not going to be talking about saving money in this episode. Um, th- we are actually going to be talking about spending money and spending a lot of money because we are going to do our very first car buying guide. So we've realized we've done a lot of episodes about like this is why you shouldn't buy a car and this is why you should bike. And now, because we know most people out there are going to have to do this at some point anyways, we are going to give you advice on when it is time to buy a car, how can you do it in the best possible way? Right. I mean, we're not dummies. Like, <laughs> uh, Well, to some degree. Uh, we, ha- we have a car still. Uh, we know most people still need to have a car. Uh, it's just a very, very car-heavy society, and we're probably not going to change people's minds overnight. And very likely, you're, most people listening will be in a scenario where they need to get a new vehicle, uh, and their decision is not going to be, I'm just going to ride my bike instead. Right? It could so, be, though. <laughs> could be, for like one or two people out there, we hope. Because um, like, we've been a car, we've been down to a one-car family for a year now, and it is... Fantastic. Yeah, we've we've had no problems with that. So I mean, maybe that's an maybe that's a more realistic option for for a lot of families, but um, for for the regular individual, right? It's very likely to have a car. So we yes. want to speak to that. We want to help you make good decisions anyway, um, right? So there's a direction to head toward, right? Reducing that amount is one thing, but in the meantime, you're going to have you know road bumps or the normal behavior, and so you need you should be making good decisions when faced with those challenges, also. Exactly. So. Uh, Let's just dive right in. So my first step when you're going to buy a car is to decide how much you should spend before you even go to try to get an approval from, you know, anybody or before you even set foot in a dealership or, and this is the big one, before you even decide what car you want. Okay. So before any of that, you should sit down and figure out how much can I spend on a car because... I could do this exercise and come up with a number for myself, and it does not matter how bad I want the Tesla Model X, I don't get that car because it is too expensive. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if I come, if I sit down and I'm like, yep, I have $15,000 to spend, there's no Model X out there for $15,000. And if there is, dibs, I want it. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I think that's why it's really important to do this exercise before because then you remove that temptation of like, oh, well, this is my dream car, so I just need to figure out how to make it happen. Like, no, you don't get it right now. So get the cheaper car for now and then keep saving your pennies and maybe in another 20 years when it's time to buy a new car, you can have that one. Right. And, then, I mean, this exercise is for anything that you can buy in your life. Like, can I afford this, right? Can I afford this house? Can I afford this car? Can I afford this swimming pool in my backyard or whatever, right? Um don't let the dealership, you know, the guy selling you the vehicle, tell you how much you can afford. Right. Like, don't put the math in his hands because he's definitely going to push you to the edge or past the edge of what you would normally feel comfortable with. And then he's going to just make it like 
sound good or change the rate or change the duration. So you're still paying more over time. Yeah. And that's what they want because that's what they get. And then, you know, you, you kind of lose out in that scenario. Yeah, and here's the hard thing, too. Even with loan officers, like, I think credit unions have a reputation for maybe being the best in this area. And I've had good experiences with my loan officer. But unfortunately, I can't just recommend you all to him because even though I think he's great, like, he's only <laughs> in one state, right? Um, and, and it can be tricky because even beyond car salesmen, a lot of loan officers, they want to get you approved for the highest loan they can because then they're bringing in more business and they want to make the loan work for you. So if they can go from, you know, a five-year car loan to a 10-year car loan and drop your payment in half, then all of a sudden you can afford the car that's twice as expensive. And while that sounds appealing, you have to look at it on paper and realize how much money you're spending over time and what happens if you have this loan on this car for 10 years and then something happens to the car, you know, six years in and all of a sudden you're underwater on it and nobody can, you know, it's not worth what you owe on it. And like, that's when all these terrible things happen because cars depreciate extremely rapidly. Right. So don't get a 10 year car loan. I had this teacher in middle school and she was the best. Mrs. Tate, and she taught me graveyard lessons, and she told me that I would take all of these lessons that she taught me to my grave, and one of them was to, like, stop eating white bread and start eating wheat bread, um, <laughs> because she was like, it's just healthier, you know, you bitches. Um, and then the, the second one was she told me to always get a car loan that was three years, and that was, like, her advice, which I think in this day and age is, like, super aggressive. Like, very few people get those anymore. Um, so my advice is three to five years because I think especially in this day and age, like, cars are going to last you five years, especially if you're getting them new. Mm -hmm. um, even if you're getting them used, most cars that you buy are going to last that long. That's not an extremely long time for cars anymore. But... I, there's some car loans that are going out to 12 years and like please just don't do that like if there's one thing you take away from this podcast take away mrs tate's lesson to the grave like never get a car loan for more than three to five years right because most car, what, what what cars do you know of that after 10 years hold on to their value right like everything depreciates within like somewhere between five and eight years probably right right like most of the value of that car is gone and you can sell something for probably like a couple thousand dollars right um or or, or you know somewhere well somewhere close to that i mean think more. about the car that we have and if they have car loans going for 12 years it means we would have just paid off our car right and it's well in our car's case it has a hundred thousand miles because we haven't driven it that much but for the last i don't know five years i've only been able to sell that car we kept you know checking like uh, different car sites to just see what the current value was. And it's been under $6,000 or $7,000 for at least five of those years. Right. So more than half of its life, it lost 30% of the value. So at some point in that equation, if you have a 12-year car loan, you're going to owe more still on that car than it is than it's currently valued. And honestly, at. it's probably going to end up being like on your second payment. <laughs> no, and like you might laugh, but... No, depending, if you buy a used car, it's different. If you're buying a brand new car, literally the minute you drive it off the lot, if you don't have a down payment on that car, you now owe more than it's worth. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as you drive a new car off the lot, you cannot sell it for what you paid for it. Right, that's true. Now, if you buy a used car, this is different. And that's what we recommend. So I guess getting back to the topic here, <laughs> how much do we recommend that you spend on a car? And I like to say that your car expenses for all of your car expenses, you should aim that they're not more than 10% of your take-home pay. 
Now, this is this is kind of hard advice in today's day and age because cars are so expensive and we put so much of our money towards them. But and and by the time you add in like gas and auto insurance and a car payment, it can get very expensive. And then you think about the normal household that has two car payments, you know, two sets of gas and and two sets of auto or auto insurance and it gets extremely expensive. So, I know that's kind of a lofty goal for some, but considering I recommend your home expenses where you live is no more than 25% of your take-home pay, it it doesn't feel right that I should recommend that your cars be equivalent to that, right? right. Um and I know they are for a lot of people, but I if you can hit that 10%, great. And if you're over that, you know, we always say on this podcast, like we're giving you guidelines to try to aim for. If you're over that, like just see how you can reduce it. Or if it's like if you're a big car person and you're willing to like, you know, live in a smaller house or, you know, go out to eat less because you want to be able to put more towards cars, like that's your MO and that's cool. So do you mean if I have a car loan, I shouldn't be exceeding 10% of my take-home pay on that loan? Or do you mean like if I, you know, is it 10% of my annual pay shouldn't be the total price of that car? So there's a couple different schools of thoughts. Um, I say if you have a loan, it shouldn't be ten, more than 10% of your take-home pay. So kind of what that looks like, let's say you make, we'll just go with $3,000 a month take-home to make it an easy example. So you have $300 to spend on car-related expenses. If you spend $100 on gas and $100 on insurance, then you have $100 left to spend on a loan, right? So mm-hmm. you have $1,200 a year. If you get a five-year loan, you're looking at being able to afford a $6,000 car. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the math there. So the same person making $3,000 a year, if they, you know, that'd be like $36,000 a year salary. And some people recommend that you don't get a car that's more than 10% of your like annual salary. So if you're making $36,000 a year, then you could only buy a $3,600 car. So in my example, you're allowed to buy a little bit more expensive of a car and get a loan on it because I'm looking at just your monthly budget and not your annual salary. Does right. that make well, sense? Well, you're, you're in that scenario, you're also looking at insurance and and you know all the other expenses that go along with that car, though, too, right? Right, yeah, but I still got to buying a higher car by mm-hmm. looking at monthly costs. Um, and that's because we're spreading it over five years, right? Mm-hmm. So, But, you know, if you think about a $100 car, a month car that that really kind of narrows what you're buying um, and that's why I know for some people this expense is going to be more expensive but that's also why I really recommend buying a car and then driving it as long as possible because if you buy that car and you pay it off in five years and then let's say you get another five years out of it but you keep socking away that hundred dollar a month payment that you were making well that means when you go to buy your next car you have six thousand dollars saved up plus if you want to get a little bit nicer car this time around you know, you can get a loan to cover the rest and you can go up to $12,000, right? right? Um, and I think that's where sometimes like- But don't, it's, don't it's necessarily hard. just force yourself into that scenario because you have the money available, right? You've put yourself in a position of power by saving that extra money. Now you have options. Exactly, so you, you just up. have more options. Yeah, you can go up, you can save that money. I mean, you can leave that money in a, you know, midterm savings vehicle. You can, uh, you know, it's, it can be basically an emergency fund for your car, but yeah, you just have more power there. So. Right. Yeah. And that's really what you want as a consumer is to put the power back in your pocket anyways. Right. Because I feel like a lot of people get into a situation where they, like, drive this piece of crap for, like, so long and then they just, like, splurge on, like, the nicest car that they can find because they, like, feel like they deserve it because, you know, they 
didn't take care of their car or, or they bought a car in the first place that was like somebody else's didn't take care of their car and you know he doesn't have windows the air conditioning doesn't work whatever and then you know they splurge on the, the luxurious vehicle and then after that luxurious vehicle dies you're back in the same boat yeah and you know what i would tell that person that they should go listen to our podcast episode about hedonic adaption <laughs> and like why they're really not going to be happier with a nicer car for long. But I would all, and I also want to tell people, you know, like I think some people listening to this podcast will be like, okay, we're going to completely write her off because she just told me to go buy a $6,000 car and that's going to get me a complete junker. So as Brett mentioned, we, ha- we have a Honda Civic that I'm in love with and it has 120,000 miles on it, and the it, it is worth less than $6,000. So some dummy out there is selling this car that is perfectly good. We plan on keeping this car for another 10 years, and there's nothing wrong with it. So now I know buying used cars, you do have to do more due diligence, and if you have like a friend who's into mechanics, like I, I have a friend who is a big car guy, and if I'm looking to buy a car, I mean, I haven't been, but I if, if he knows somebody who's looking to buy a car, he is so happy to go with them to, like, check it out. Because his 10 minutes of looking at a car can tell, like, can tell me so much more than my 10 minutes of looking at a car. Because I'm like, ooh, like, what color is it? And what are the seats like? Um, but he can actually, like, look under the hood and be like, oh, you know, this looks fishy to me. Or this, he can turn on the engine and hear how it's running and, like, you know, diagnose and stuff. But... There are good cars that you can get for that price point. Right. I mean, it's just like, it's no different than the process of buying a house. It's not like all these used cars are driven off of the junkyard, right? Uh, People don't sell their houses because they're just like all trash. They sell their houses because they need to get out of this situation or like they couldn't afford the payments on this car or, right? Or they want to upgrade. Or they, they, yeah. Or most people are like, yeah, I've had this car for three years and I need to get rid of it because it's got like 50,000 miles on it and I need my new car that never will ever have a problem. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but right, take advantage of those scenarios and those people, and just like wait for you know, take it, you know, give yourself some time and wait for a good deal if you can, uh, because they do exist, right? I know all those car guys that I know wait and buy like used cars because there's a whole market of just like trading like really awesome vehicles, yeah, or like these like zooped up whatever like modded out cars and like that's a whole nother section of the market that it's all used car trading back and forth and all of those are like really well taken care of and like have had a lot of money invested in them and they're still like not as expensive as they were when they were brand new even though they have all this stuff that people put into it right okay so the the last cohort i want to talk about is um the the folks nearing retirement so you know you've worked until you're 65 you have this lump sum of money and we moved to Florida recently, so we see all the time the stereotype, the stereotype of like people retire, move to Florida, and buy their dream car. I cannot tell you how many like times we go to Publix, the grocery store down here, and see like, you know, an older couple getting out of their Jaguar or Porsche or Range Rover. It's literally every day, like right. all over the place. And so some people might say, okay, Angela, like, or Lamborghinis. You- I've seen more Lamborghinis <laughs> like per day here than than when I worked like at the auto show. Yeah. It's it's really kind of ridiculous. So so anyways, people in that boat might say to me, okay, Angela, like I know you said I can't spend more than, you know, 10% of my monthly income, but now I just have this whole lump sum because I was a diligent saver my entire career and now I have a million dollars saved up in my 401k and I'm on easy street for the rest of my life and I'm, I'm retired and I can do whatever I want. And to those people I say, sure, you can, but you can also run out of money and be forced to live on social security for the rest of your life. So, you know, there's there's that 
future as well if you decide to blow your entire lump sum that you've worked so hard for. Like, why would you ruin it now? But anyway, so people might ask me, well, how much of my net worth can I spend on a car? And there's advice out there. There's a lot of advice out there that says 5% of your net worth. So in that million dollar example, you could buy a $50,000 car and, you know, be done with it. Well, I actually think that that's a little high because in retirement, I recommend that you spend 4% a year um, is kind of the targeted spending rate that I recommend. And I recommend that because then you will not, you have a 99% chance of not running out of money in retirement if you stick to that guideline, right? Right. As long as your money is invested appropriately, but that's not the podcast to talk about that. So So in that scenario, if I'm spending 5% on my car, right, and then I'm also spending 4% on my lifestyle, right? which is ridiculous because why would I spend more on my car than my lifestyle for that year in that scenario? But then I'm spending 9% overall. I'm losing out on a lot of money for that that would have been put toward from a compound interest perspective in the rest of my retirement. Yeah. So the reason that scares me is you take that million dollars down to basically $900,000 in the first year. Right. And now your 4% rule is just reduced forever from $40,000 to $36,000 a year. Right. So you just gave yourself a four grand haircut year <laughs> after year in retirement to, to buy this vehicle. And so to me, that just feels a little aggressive and a little careless. And if you're going to keep you know spending $40,000, which is the more likely scenario, then your odds of running out of money in retirement increase, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually recommend that if you're going to do that, I'd aim for 2 to 3% of your net worth that you spend on a car if you're going to do a lump sum like that. And some people still might ask, well, you know, what about if I get a loan and I spread it over time? Um, and that can make a lot more sense, but it can also be a lot harder to get a loan when you don't have any source of income. So your interest rate might be higher, your conditions might not be as good, and it might actually be more favorable to pay for it with the cash that you've saved up. So I kind of recommend that two to 3% of your net worth range. And I mean, that's still getting you a 20 to $30,000 car. And in my brain, I'm like, why do you need to spend more than that in a car? Like you can get a really freaking nice car for $30,000. Right, or you could, uh, you know, around the Michigan State campus, like every year, you know, there's a lot of these kids that like come overseas buy these like amazing cars like literally this kid bought a lamborghini and they just like leave it at the airport when they fly away right so just like offer them like five thousand dollars for their car and pick it it up for nothing you know in florida (laughs) there's a lot of people who retire and buy these really nice cars and then you know die so (laughs) you know buy it from their from their heirs um well you can always get a good deal on a car i think is the point and so don't be afraid to buy used cars for sure Um, And that's how you're going to get a better deal. But okay, so anyways, now moving on that we've kind of given the whole background on like, here's how you set your price. How, what do you do? Oh, and how exactly do you translate? Like, this is how much my monthly budget allows to how much can I actually spend on this vehicle? Now, this might intimidate some people, but just go to a financial calculator website. There's a ton of them out there. When I post this podcast on our website, I'll link to one that I use. Um, And here's what you're going to do. I'll walk you through it. You're going to go ahead and in the interest field, you're going to put in 5% interest. You're going to pick your loan term for 60 months. You're going to set your future value to zero. And then you're going to put in whatever payment you came up with that you want. So for us, in our example, it'd be like $100. And then you're just going to hit the present value button. And it'll calculate it for you. And it'll show you, here's the $6,000 you can spend on a car, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that 
number that you see in the financial calculator plus any down payment you've already saved up is the maximum you should spend on a new car. Um, and that's super helpful to walk in to a dealer with that number and say, this is how much I want to spend on a car, because otherwise they're going to try to increase that number as much as possible. So once you have that number, what do you do? And well, you need to get a loan now, right? And so some people think, okay, I'm ready to go to the dealership. I'm ready to pick out my car. I would actually recommend that you hold your horses and you go and find a local credit union and chat with them first and try to get pre-approved with a credit union first because their interest rates are typically going to be better than the dealer's interest rates. Okay. So I recommend that you do that. And then you can go ahead and go to the dealer. Now, a lot of dealers, you're going to pull up and then you're going to be like, oh my gosh, why did Angela make me waste my time going to the credit union? Because you're going to see that they have this big sign that says like, you know, sign now, get a brand new car now, and your interest rate will be 2% or whatever. We approve everybody, right? Yeah. And the the thing that I want to mention about dealer financing is that it can be really hard to qualify for unless you have almost perfect credit and you're a high income earner. And not just any high income earner, a high W-2 income earner. Because a lot of times if you don't have W-2 income, then you're not as desirable as others and you don't qualify for their promotional financing. So time after time, I've had friends come to me and be like, oh, Angela, like this is crazy. I didn't get, even like the interest rate that the credit union advertised on their front door, I didn't qualify for. And I'm like, that's not uncommon. So when I was going to buy my first car, right out of college, there was like dealer financing for like two and a half percent. And I, I made all the classic mistakes, which is why I'm sitting here now, like telling people to avoid my mistakes. Cause this was like, this was like seven years ago for me. And I didn't know near as, as much as I do now. And I was sitting in the dealer and I was like walking through all the prices and, you know, we got the price down to an, a number I was very comfortable with. It was, it was only a four-year loan, I believe. But what really shocked me was at the end of it, this whole time I thought I qualified for like the two and a half percent. And my interest rate on that loan was actually 5.9%. So, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, well, at least my monthly payment was still like what I said it needed to be because they took money off the top to make all the finances work. Um, But it was still like, I was still kind of shocked at the end, you know? So... Uh, definitely understand that you might not get what they say. And right now, you know, we are in an environment where interest rates are going up. So an interest loan of um, 5% on a vehicle right now is pretty common and it's up from there. So I would say for most people, you're probably going to be between the 4 and 7% range right now on a car. Okay. So, so is that... I see deals all the time where they say like 0% for like some amount, like a, the first two years or something. That's also like I have to qualify to be in that category, same boat. Yep. You typically have to qualify for that and you have to be really careful with those because sometimes it's like 0%. So I don't know about auto loans because I never had a 0% auto loan, but some of them are legit, right? But I know when I had financing for something else, it was 0% for the first year. But if you didn't pay it off, before then, you had to pay all the interest. So like, for example, for like an auto loan, um, if they say 0% for like the first two years, it might be because after that, they're going to raise your rate to like 6%. Or if you get 0% for like five years, it might also be the case that if you happen to not pay your car off in those five years, then you have to back pay all of that interest. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be really careful and read the fine print. Like, 
right? They say if it seems to be good, too good to be true, it probably is. Like you just really need to make sure you're doing your due diligence because if you can qualify for 0% for like two years, great, because you can, you know, especially if I get asked the question sometimes of like, well, if I already have the money in the bank, should I buy a car with cash or should I just get a loan and invest the difference? And if you get 0% for two years, great, you can, you know, get a loan and invest the difference, but make sure you know what that all means, you Mm -hmm. know, do your due diligence. Um, And the other point that I really want to mention with getting financing on a car and why there is a argument of like, you know, let's say you have a a 6% rate on an auto loan and, you know, you're like, well, it's still better for me to get this loan and then I can invest in Vanguard for the difference or any mutual funds. And well, the point that I want to mention is that you need higher insurance if you have dealer financing because you have to get comprehensive. So a lot of times... So max maximum coverage on your insurance for your vehicle because the bank says you have to. Because that's their car. Right. It's the, Yeah, they own it, that it, car. You're just borrowing it from them and they say we need maximum production on it. Exactly. Spiky, so, spiking your insurance price. Yeah, so sometimes your insurance will go up when you buy a new car, not just because the car is new, but because you know, the bank requires you to have higher insurance on it. Is that true only if it's dealer insurance or is that true That's of the credit union? That's true of the credit union as well. Okay. It's universal. So they any, want any to Any auto loan that you have, you have to pay higher insurance? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, like, and that's a really good way to think about it. Like, it is genuinely the bank's car until you pay it back. So, like, you know, because I've also heard the horror stories of, like, different stuff happening and people are like, oh, the bank took my car from me. And I'm like, well, technically, you still owed the money. So it was their car, <laughs> you know. Um, but anyways, so hopefully this has been a helpful episode. Brett, is there anything else you think I should cover? Or? Um, I would say if you're going to go into, so now that you know kind of what your number is, you've run the calc- the financial calculator, you know what your maximum value is of what you're going to pay for the car is, uh, don't tell the dealer that when you walk into the, the negotiating table, right, after you've decided what you want to buy. Um, start lower than that and then just don't exceed that value, right? Right. So... They don't need to know that that's your maximum. They're going to be like, well, what's your maximum, right? Be like, too bad. You don't need to know that. That gives you all the power in the conversation because then you'd be like, oh, well, conveniently, that's the price that I can get it down to, right? Um, so just start, you know, start with like as low as you possibly can go, but then just follow the rules of don't exceed the, you know. But what, also, what I've, I've played this game a lot because my dad is an avid car negotiator. And when you get down to the, like that last $1,000 difference, they're going to try so hard to be like, it's just $1,000. It's just $1,000. Like, throw that back at them and be like, okay, are you willing to lose a sale over $1,000 of this car? Because, like, these dealerships have a lot more wiggle room than they like to lead you to believe. And, like, they will totally just come down. Like, just be very firm with it. Don't... I think the big thing and something that Brett and I have been really good at in our lives of, like, car buying and house buying, don't get emotional. It's just a car. So, like, if you have to walk out of there because they won't come down in price, walk out and you'll find another one and it'll be okay. Right. Or, yeah, talk to a... You could talk to a different salesman. You could talk to a different dealership. They'll all have, like... You know, just reset the whole game plan. And if right. you want that exact same vehicle that bad, just find it somewhere else. Like you, Or you can come back to the table here and be like, hey, are you willing to give me this deal now? Is it the end of your quarter and you need to make more sales numbers, right? Then he'll be like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely, like, make the deal happen. Like, right? They have their own game that they need to play inside. But overall, car dealerships are making more pers- a larger margin on car sales now than they ever have before. 
Like think about when like my grandparents were buying their car or when my parents were buying their car. It was way cheaper than it is now and not just because of inflation differences, right? Like the cars are getting way more expensive per dollar for how low in quality they're increasing over time for what I would expect, right? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not hurting too bad and I'm not crying to sleep if I get a good deal against a car salesman today. Right. All right, well, I think that wraps it up. As always, if you have any further questions about this topic, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, I really do always love to hear from you guys. I always respond to everybody who does email me. Um, I have been getting a lot more emails in the past few weeks here from you guys, which is great. Uh, Sometimes that means you don't get a response immediately, but I always try to respond within 24 to 48 hours. So feel free to keep them coming. If you're in the car buying process and you want my opinion on something or want me to help look over your numbers, I'm happy to do that. I'm happy to try to figure out how much you should be spending on a car payment every month and, um, you know, what your options are. So feel free to just drop me a line. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Money in the Bank. Make sure to subscribe to us on the iTunes or Stitcher app so that you get weekly alerts every time we post a podcast. Or if you want, you can visit my website, moneyinthebankpodcast.com. And if you want to reach out with any questions or further comments, please email me at angie at moneyinthebankpodcast.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Money in the Bank.